Good evening. We're going to be in Psalm 20 and 21 and 22. So originally, the, the idea was to do Psalm 20 and 21, because if you've been going with us, you'll know that we're now coming back around to, uh, we're at the, the, the backside of the sandwich here in these Psalms. Um, the sandwich is Psalm 15 to 24, and they mirror each other all the way to the center. So 15 and 24 are like the bread of the sandwich. And both of those psalms ask, who can ascend the mountain of God and live with him? And then uh, you have 16 and you have 23. And these are psalms of comfort. And then you have 17 and 22. And these are psalms of despair. And then you have 18 and 20 to 21. And these psalms are where... uh, The king is out in battle, David, and he's crying to God for deliverance, and God delivers him. And then Psalm 19 is in the center of the sandwich. It's the meat. It's the choose your protein, if you will, if you're vegan or whatever. Um, 19 is the Torah. It's the celebration of God's law, this beautiful psalm that we looked at last week. And so now we're coming on the other side of this sandwich, 20 and 21, again, is where the king is crying out to God in battle. And I was going to stop there. But then the Lord showed me to attach Psalm 22 to this as well, and you'll see why. The reason is that we go through, and we've been going through in the Psalms, we've been going through this theme of prayer and praise and seeing how this is the language of God's people But as we exercise prayer, and as we continue to call upon the name of the Lord, and as we're asking him for our needs or to meet other people's needs, we run into moments when it doesn't seem like he hears us. When it seems like we have what has been called the unanswered prayer. For example, I prayed all week that we wouldn't have snow on Sunday. That worked out really well, didn't it? (laughs) Lord did not hear my prayer. He didn't answer it. That's usually the language you hear. He didn't answer my prayer. Or maybe more generally, um, a lot of people, approximately 50% of our nation, didn't hear their prayers answered. At least those who were praying for the election. Didn't hear their prayers answered. Maybe 50% did, but maybe 50% didn't. What do we do with that? Why did God not answer the prayer of so many? In Psalm 20 and 21, we have prayers that are offered and answered. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at that briefly. David makes these prayers and God answers them exactly as he asked for them. But in Psalm 22... We have David offering prayers that go completely unanswered. To the point that he cries in desperation, God, why have you forsaken me? So that's why we're going to attach 20 and 21 with 22. So we're going to see God saying yes to our prayers and then God saying no to our prayers. So the title of this message, at least as I'm categorizing it in my notes, is when no is God's yes. When no is God's yes. Because here's the truth, friends. We say that God doesn't answer prayer, but in reality, 
He always answers prayer. It may not be my desire, but he always answers prayer. There's no such thing as God didn't hear that prayer. God didn't answer it. I think we just use that language because we get so used to him delivering us in the battle. So that when he doesn't, we, we, we revert to this, I was ignored. He didn't hear me. But he always, 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 always answers our prayers. And even when our requests don't come out the way we want them to, your prayer still matters. Because in Revelation chapter 8, we see that in heaven are collected the prayers of the saints in bowls, golden bowls. Our prayers all count. We may not always see them happening the way we thought they would. But part of the goal of real prayer, true prayer, is that we are asking for God's prayer to be answered, not just our own prayer to be answered. And we'll look at that and what I mean by that here as we go through this, these passages. So, Psalm chapter 20. So again, this is now we come back to the king crying for deliverance and he's delivered. So Psalm 20 and 21 are two different psalms, but they're connected. They're clearly connected. Psalm 20 is the prayer request and Psalm 21 is the praise report. As we've always used in church language, you have prayer requests and praise reports. Here you have it in Psalm 20 and 21. So read with me Psalm 20 to the choir master, a psalm of David. May Adonai answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. And that, of course, Zion's the mountain where the sanctuary sits, the temple sits. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. So what we see so far is that the king is preparing to go to battle. And now there is this prayer that God would hear the king. He would save him out of trouble. Um, verse 3 talks about the sacrifices. We know that the Jews would give sacrifices before their battles to dedicate the army to God. You might remember when King Saul got impatient waiting for Samuel, the prophet, to show up right before battle. And he's like, we got to go to battle now. we got to go to battle now. But, but King Saul... Prophet Samuel hasn't shown up. You cannot give the offering yet. We cannot go to battle. But Saul's watching all his army disintegrate, hide into the hills because they're terrified. And Saul gets in his flesh. The flesh is always rash. The flesh always has to take handle on things in the moment. And Saul says, fine, I'll do the sacrifice. And it says no sooner than had he finished, Samuel shows up. And he was busted. That was when Samuel first told Saul, God has rejected you from being king over this people. Of course, we see, don't we, that the Jews would, this is a lot like us giving prayer. They would, all, they would pray to God for victory in the battle while giving their sacrifices. And so we see all of this has happened. And so they're saying, may you remember, may you deliver. Verse four, may God grant you your heart's desire. Again, this is talking about David, right? May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. 
May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May Adonai fulfill all your petitions. So you can see the prayer. May he give you your heart's desire. May you have victory. May the banners, the flags of victory be waving in the wind when all is said and done. Verse six. Now I know that Adonai saves his anointed. And remember that a word anointed is Mashiach in the Hebrew, it's Messiah. In the New Testament, it's, it's the Greek word Christ. And so David is that anointed king. Um, he's, the cap, or he's the lowercase m Messiah, right? And from his lineage comes Jesus, the capital M Messiah. And so we see that word anointed used in the Psalms. And we can always see sort of this foreshadowing of Christ when we're looking at David as the anointed. Now I know that Adonai saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of Adonai, our God. They, the ones who trust in chariots and horses, they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some trust in Donald J. Trump and some trust in Joseph Biden Jr. But we, we trust in the name of Adonai our God. We must not lose picture here. We must not lose the picture that he is our trust. And even in battle, you could say to David, David, you're crazy. We know trusting God's great, but you really ought to get a few extra chariots. You really ought to get some stronger horses. These are not good enough. But we understand, right? While the world around us does matter, what ultimately will shape our soul, what will ultimately carry the church through any season, no matter what comes our way, is our trust in Christ. That is where we're anchored. And the worship team just saying, it is well, it is well, it is well. It is never well when we're trusting in the elephant or we're trusting in the donkey. It's never well when you're trusting in those. Because those come and go. They change. That's part of democracy. Is that two sides tug back and forth so that you don't go off the deep end with one, one viewpoint. We're always going to have our hopes raised and dashed over and over. And some have lived long enough to see this in many administrations. And some of us have seen, have seen this happen with our finances. It goes up, it goes down. With our job opportunities, and you think you're making an advancement, then COVID ruins everything. We cannot put our trust. We can get excited, sure. We can have opinions, and we can say, this is important to me. But our trust, the, where we define our peace and what is well with our soul, Christ is immovable, immovable. In Revelation 4, you see the one seated on the throne. And if there was a time for the church to say, things are absolutely awful, it was in the book of Revelation. John's writing to Christians who are 
going to lose their jobs, maybe their lives, if they don't offer a pinch of incense to Caesar. He's writing to these Christians who really have true persecution. And what does he tell them? After he writes them the letters, Revelation 4, he says, And I saw him seated on the throne. Because when our trust is in God, we too can be seated securely with him. Caesar doesn't have a thing on his throne. Caesar cannot touch God's throne. Oh, he can touch God's people. But part of Revelation's message is they'll have it in the end. Those who touch God's people will have it. You cannot touch the Christian's soul. It is seated. Revelation I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 says we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's where we should recognize our position. That's where my soul is. That's where my future, entire, my entire being is destined to be with Christ. And we more than ever need our focus to be on who we are in Christ. To learn that chariots and horses mean nothing we trust in the name of Adonai, our God. Was it enough for David? It was enough for David. Verse 9, O Adonai, save the king. May you, may he answer us when we call. Um, I'm assuming that's asking God to answer us when we call. So look at, verse, look at chapter 21 now. They trusted in Adonai. Did he, did he deliver? Yes. He's 20, chapter 21 is... The praise report for chapter 20's prayer for success in battle. All right? 21 verse 1. Adonai, in your strength, the king rejoices. In your salvation, how greatly he exults. For you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Do you see that? You have given him his heart's desire. Go right back up to verse 4 in chapter 20. And the prayer was, may he grant you your heart's desire. May he grant you your heart's desire. Now 21 verse 2, the praise report. You have given him his heart's desire. The battle's over. They've packed up. They've got the loot, the booty. They're bringing it to the, to the city. The borders are now peacefully protected and defended, and they're coming back, and God, you're so good. You have granted our heart's desire. You have not withheld a request of the king's lips. For you meet him, this is verse 3, with rich blessings. You can count them. Blessing one, you set a crown of fine gold on his head. Number two, he asked life of you, and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. Blessing three, his glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. Verse six, blessing four, for you make him most blessed forever. Not just a little blessing, it's not just temporary, it's most blessed forever. And verse five, the fifth blessing, I'm sorry, verse, uh, we're still in verse six, the fifth blessing, you make him glad with the joy of your presence. God, you've given the king his heart's desire. You heard his prayer, and you've made him rich with these blessings, a crown, life, glory. 
more blessings, and your presence. You've made him joyful in your presence. So verse 7, for the king. Why did all this happen? For the king trusts in Adonai. What did we see in verse 7 of chapter 20? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of Adonai our God. And now in 21 verse 7, because the king trusts in Adonai. That's why he made him rich with blessings. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Sisters and brothers, we may not be praying on the eve of battle. We may not be David with horses and chariots, but we are in a battle. Ephesians 6 makes it clear that we are in a battle against the forces of darkness, against Satan and his minions, just to show their weakness, I guess. Um, We are in a battle, a spiritual battle. We must trust in him for the victory, and we will not be moved. He blesses us through the battle. He hears our prayers. And so... We continue um, in verse 20, chapter 21, and it kind of shifts gears here because from verse 8 to the end of the chapter, suddenly it seems like the victory is not complete, or at least there's a, a future total and complete victory yet to come. And you can actually look at this um, as something that Christ will come and do. In fact, one scholar, and I wasn't totally, I didn't take the time to see if I was convinced by this or not, but one scholar thinks that the verse 8 through, four, through 13 is echoed in 1 Thessalonians, that Paul is praying for this victory in the church. Um, so 21 verse 8, your hand, this is talking to God now, your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. Adonai will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, God, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. Well, when you trust in horses, in chariots, when you trust in the ways of man, you fall and perish, right? So verse 12, for you will put them to flight and you will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, Adonai, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Hmm. So David wins the battle, but here Psalm 21 is looking forward to when God wins the war. It's as if it's saying, just wait, it'll come. But then you wonder, does Psalm 22 provide the answer? Is Psalm 22 the victory of this future battle? Well, let's look at Psalm 22. To the choir master, according to the Doe of the Dawn. That's a tune, we presume. A Psalm of David. Now, Psalm 22, before we start, is a very well-known psalm because of the many echoes in this psalm to the cross of Christ. I shouldn't say echo. I guess it's a foreshadow. 
And then the cross has a lot of events in which echo this psalm. We'll point those out as we go. Um, one, one teacher whom I, have, whom I listen to says he calls this psalm an x-ray of the cross. An x-ray of the cross. In other words, what we see in the Gospels is we see what Jesus did or what happened to him. We see him on the cross. We see the agony. We're observing, right? The Gospel writers are looking from the outside of Jesus's body and looking at his body. But in Psalm 22, we get the x-ray. We're looking inside Christ. We're looking at what he's thinking and feeling. Because Psalm 22 is a prayer. And Psalm 22 was a prayer long before Jesus came to the earth and died on the cross. When Jesus quotes this Psalm, which he does from the cross, when he quotes this Psalm, We should take that to mean he is emitting the first words of the prayer of which he cannot get the rest out because of the agonies and the taxation upon the body that crucifixion produces. So verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's all Jesus can get out. Jews knew the Bible so well. Jesus knew the Bible so well. We see him in the wilderness with the devil, and he quotes scripture from, of all places, Deuteronomy, where all your Bible verses come from, right? The Jews knew scriptures, and they knew when you say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Immediately, the index of their mind goes straight to Psalm 22. Jesus is on the cross, and he prays. He tries to pray, and all he can get out is the first part of the prayer. What this shows us is the prayer going on in Jesus' heart, the prayer he's offering up to the Father as he is dying on the cross. This is the x-ray. This is the look into what is going on in the Son of God as he's being crucified. And this prayer, as you can tell, is a prayer of absolute agony. It's not a prayer of, it's not the typical prayer of praise. Rejoice all nations, God's good. It's the prayer of pain. Where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus prays this prayer, he's by no means the first to pray this prayer. Thousands, thousands, thousands of Jews had prayed this prayer before Christ prayed it from the cross. And thousands and thousands more are praying this prayer after the cross. When Christ utters this prayer on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is joining with the cries and the pain and the suffering of all who have prayed this before and after him. And friends, This is where we have to recognize that prayer, regardless of if it gets answered in the triumphant way that it does in Psalm 21, or if it seems like God's forsaking us like in Psalm 22, that's why we need to say prayer matters because when we pray, no matter what the prayer is and if it gets answered or not, when we pray, we are joining a host of saints alive and dead who have prayed and are praying The bowl of prayers in heaven 
are being held and they're being added to. And when you pray, whether you're forsaken or feeling the rich blessings that David feels in Psalm 21, your prayers are joining. And especially when we feel ignored, neglected, and unanswered and unheard, we are right there where Christ was. He knows every type of prayer we can utter. Why can't he get past that first line? Because crucifixion was that bad. Crucifixion was such, and I'll, I'll keep it very simple since, you know, we got the children with us too. <laughs> but crucifixion was such that you would, your arms would be dislocated because of the way the cross was put into the ground. And when it hit, when he, when he raised the beam into the hole in the ground, it would, it would fall a good foot or two into the hole and boom, it would just rip them out of place, right? And so then you can't pull yourself up to breathe as you're hanging. You're, you're, you can't get air. And, you, and so you can't really pull yourself up anymore because your arms are useless. So you have to push up against a nail on your feet. And eventually the way everyone died on the cross was through suffocation. Because eventually you just get too tired and you can't push yourself up anymore. There's no more breath. This is perhaps why Jesus can only utter one line of the prayer. But God knows the prayer. God hears it. We hear it. We get to see it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Just before he goes to the cross, Jesus goes to Gethsemane to pray. And Lord, he prays as he's sweating blood, as he's in agony. Father, if there be any other way, please let this cup pass from me. Please let there be just another path. I'll do it. Just, just a last ditch prayer. Lord, please, maybe there's another, an alternative. Can we have a plan B? But Christ prays, not my will, but thy will be done. And sure enough, Judas leads the soldiers right there to the prayer spot, the secret prayer spot that he entrusted Judas to know. And Judas takes that open shot and jabs him, brings the soldiers to him, where none of the crowds would riot over seeing their beloved teacher being arrested Right then, yep, there's no other way. I got to go through with this. Jesus knows what it's like to have unanswered prayer. And this is, so we need to see this from the get-go, that when God doesn't answer our prayers with triumph and with rich blessing and with rejoicing, when he doesn't answer our prayers, it's not a personal thing. He's not looking at you or at I and saying, well, you're just not good enough. That's why I'm not answering your prayer. It's not personal. He didn't answer Jesus' prayer. It's not personal. It's because God has a plan. He has a will. And when he doesn't answer our prayer, it's because our way is getting in the way of his will. And sometimes we just don't see that. And so God will say, I understand. 
but it's not the best. I have a better answer. Really? Jesus must have been thinking, you have a better answer. Because it doesn't get worse than this. Well, we have to trust in him and not in chariots because he does have a better answer. And we'll see this at the end of this psalm. So Christ knows what it's like to be unanswered in Gethsemane. Verse 3. Now, here's, here's the troubling thing, right? There's objections. Like, of all people, why are, you, why are you not listening to me? Why are you not answering me? Because historically, there's precedent that you always answer our prayers. Verse 3. Yet you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. Example, you just saw it, Psalm 21. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But me? But I am a worm and not a man. He feels dehumanized. This is a prayer of, I don't even feel like I'm human anymore. Psalm 8 said that we're just below the heavenly beings, and now all of a sudden, I'm not even a human. I'm not even a donkey. I'm a worm. Worms were the creature that feasted on rotting stuff. This is low, low, low life right here. The psalmist is at the bottom of creation. But I am a worm and not a man. You heard them. You don't hear me. Scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in Adonai. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Three things here. First, Seven and eight, these are in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, they both say they wagged their heads at him. They mocked him. Also, they mock him and saying, hey, he trusts in God, let him deliver him. That's first. We see that these are part of what happened at the cross. Second, he trusts in Adonai. Well, we have already looked in chapter 20, verse 7, 21, verse 7, that trusting in Adonai brought deliverance. Not working here. And let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You might remember two weeks ago, Psalm 18, verse 19, 18, 19. This was the other battle prayer where David was delivered. 18, 19. God brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Everything has turned the wrong way now. So now he won't be rescued. He's not being rescued. Then they're mocking him. Let him rescue you for, like you prayed before, he delights in you. Oh, how's your God working for you now? So that's objection number one. Lord, you should hear me because you hear everybody else, but you're not hearing me. Objection number two, verse nine. Yet you are he, God, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. I have known you from birth. And yet now you won't hear me. 
it's also touching when you think of Christ praying this prayer on the cross. Thinking about Mary and everything Mary went through, the suffering she went through, to be unwed and pregnant and to raise Jesus and all the faithfulness that she did. And, and just the human memories of the human Jesus reflecting on his mother and his relationship with his father all his life, even at 12 years of age. Come on, parents. Shouldn't you have known that I'd be about my father's business? My father, my father, my father. He always talked about the father. Then on the cross, my God, my God. You've known, I've known you forever, and now? So verse 11, we see the first petition. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Here's the trouble. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. Now, Bashan was a region known for their cattle. So you could think like Texas. Longhorns from Texas, in a way. So these are just like really big creatures. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. We've already looked at how that would actually happen, right, on the cross. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. And scientifically, you could say that that would be an experience you'd have as your blood, as your heart works faster and faster and faster and faster to compensate for the loss of fluid. It just literally becomes like it's melting. My strength is dried up, verse 15, like a potsherd, just dry, hard clay. My tongue sticks to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs, so here's our third image, bulls, lions, and dogs. Now, I understand that we in America think of dogs as cute, and they're, they're nearly citizens in this nation. It's not far. <laughs> I'm not making fun of anyone who loves your animal. It's a great thing. But in Israel, in this time, Dogs were not cute. They were not domesticated. They were jackals. They were hyenas. They were coyotes. They, they run around the streets, digging in the trash, eating. Well, at a crucifixion site, they didn't bury crucified criminals. So dogs would actually be a real sight there, a realistic sight. And so dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. And of course, of course, there's that. But there's also the image that the people, the evildoers in our lives are sometimes like bulls and lions and dogs. Speaking of lions, he said there in verse 13, like a ravening and roaring lion. Do you know where that takes us in the New Testament? 1 Peter 5.8. The devil, your adversary, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And on the cross, the devil thought he had Jesus. The roaring lion devoured. The roaring lion did not stop. The roaring lion went as far as he could go. Verse 16 again. For the dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. There you go. 
There's our third very clear connection to the Gospels and Jesus. They've pierced my hands and feet. Now, some translations, I think it's a cop-out. They follow some Hebrew manuscripts that say, like a lion, they are at my hands and feet. And the trouble is, at least as far as I understood in my studies, is that the Hebrew texts that change that from piercing my hands and feet to they're like lions around my hands and feet, um, they are, they're the texts that we have a thousand years after Christ. Because some of our Hebrew texts don't go super far. And, and yes, they've been copied and a lot of the times faithfully, but here's where I'm asking the question. Did Jews smudge would maybe later they found an alternate meaning for the Hebrew here so it doesn't look like Christ? Because the Septuagint, and I'm getting super like technical with the text here, but hang with me here. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. It was written 200 years before Jesus. Jesus read the Septuagint. The early church read the Septuagint. They read the Greek texts. And so, more often than not, I will side with the Septuagint because that's the early church's scripture. And it wasn't written in light of Jesus, it was written before Jesus. And the Septuagint, if your Bible's footnote may tell you this already, mine does. Um, the Septuagint says, pierced my hands and my feet. It's no wonder the early church sees Christ in this psalm. And just a little side note there, in case your translation troubles you or says something different verse 17 i can count all my bones they stare and glow over me here's another one in the gospels they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots and now here we are again a prayer a petition a plea verse 19 but you adonai do not be far off oh you my help come quickly to my aid Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Wait, what? You may not have noticed because it happens so quickly, but the psalm just turned like mid-verse. I almost want to say mid-sentence, mid-breath. It turns mid-verse. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. All of a sudden. Now, I'll be honest, and you perhaps experience this too. You completely missed that when you're reading it. At least the first time. It wasn't until verse 22 you go, what's going on here? It says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. What? What happened? Did the, psalm, did the chapter change and they forgot to tell us? It's a total dramatic change. And that makes you go, what, let me go back. And then you realize, mid-prayer, mid-prayer, deliver me. You have rescued me. In the midst of the prayer, it happens. And brothers and sisters, we will often feel forsaken. We'll often feel like we're unanswered. But when we stick with God and we continue out to him and we're honest and pour out our soul to him like David does, like Christ did, Somewhere in the thick of things, in the midst, when you're least expecting it. Almost when it's like, well, I've just resigned myself to the way thing. Whoa! He did it! He did it! And often he does it that way so that we can't take credit, so that we cannot rationalize it, so that we cannot anticipate it. He just, whew, and how sweet the salvation is. 
And so suddenly the psalm turns. Suddenly the psalm turns to victory. And friends, we cannot divorce this from the victory of Christ on the cross. This entire psalm I see as his prayer. He knows that even while he's suffering, deliverance will come and it will produce this victory that we're about to read. And also remember, at the end of 21, we saw a future victory. And we wondered, does Psalm 22 offer the answer? Perhaps it does. So let's look at this victory now. Suddenly the prayer is totally different. Verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear Adonai, praise him. You offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. There it is, three praises, possibly corresponding to the bulls, the lions, and the dogs. There were three villains. Now there's praise him, glorify him, stand in awe of him. 24, why for? For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Now, Psalm 20, Lord, may you give the king victory. 21, you gave him victory. You heard his prayer. 22, you haven't heard me. You've neglected me. You've forsaken me. To suddenly, ah, oh, you did hear me after all. From you comes my praise, 23, in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The vows are, God, if you will do this, then I will do this. And, well, David is following through. And the prayer is instructing all of us to follow through if we've done that. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise Adonai. May your hearts live forever. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to Adonai. And all their families, all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to Adonai. He rules over the nations and all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. So even on your way to death, they're going to come back and worship him. Even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told to Adonai, or uh, it shall be told to the Lord, to the coming generation they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That's the victory. Let's break it down. This is good. The first verse in 22, right there. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. This is our, uh, our last direct New Testament verse. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, cites this one. I will tell of your name to my brothers. And this is, what, this is cool. This is so cool. Because I don't think we give ourselves a liberty to think this way. But here's the Bible telling us, think this way. See yourself this way. See yourself in Christ this way. So Hebrews 2, verse 12, says this. Um, no, well, we shouldn't start in verse 12 because that would be confusing. We'll start in chapter 2, 
Verse 10. For it is fitting, this is Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting that he, God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. He's talking about the cross. For he who sanctifies, that's to set apart. It's to, it's to, it's to remove from a situation and to become yours. So he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Wait, what? Did you hear that? He who sanctifies, God, doing the sanctifying, and those who are sanctified all have one source. God's source is my source? Yeah. That is why, he's now explaining to us, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. In other words, Christ is the one, right? Christ is the source here of the sanctifier and the sanctified. Christ is the bridge between God and humans. And that is why Christ is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Whoa. That's amazing. What you're reading here is that Christ is calling us, his brothers, his sisters. It's not like it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all of us somewhere there, maybe angels between. What the New Testament is telling us is that through the cross, because Christ entered into our prayers of pain, because Christ went and descended into death with us, he can be called our brother, we can be called his brother, because he came to us and literally went where we will go ahead of us, to death. And that's what Hebrews continues to say if you look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, because Christ took on flesh and blood, right? He himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Why are we brothers? Why are we sisters with Christ? Because he became like us and died just like we die. He took for us the teeth of the dogs, the teeth of the lion, the horns of the bull, so that they would all be defanged and dehorned. The roaring lion had his way with Christ on the cross. But what the roaring lion didn't realize is that when you sink your teeth into eternal life, you leave eternal life defanged. That the lion bit and the lion's teeth were left in the flesh. The roaring lion can roar, but he has no bite left. Because Christ has conquered death. The sting, oh death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? It's gone because Christ allowed the things to be embedded and now the devil's defeated. This is why there's victory 
in the cross. That's why there's victory at the end of this psalm. And that's why he is our brother. I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm kind of like worried that I'm going to get emails or something because I'm saying this, but it's, it's what it's saying. Because you just don't hear this very often. It almost feels, it cannot be true. Can that be true? It's amazing truth that Christ has literally come to us. Not just like, oh yeah, I'm with y'all, but I'm still distinct from you. Like, he's with us to bring us to his position. And he had to reach into death to do so. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Christ is in the midst of the congregation. You know that? He's in the midst of... He's praising with us. He's been rescued like we've been rescued. He was taken out of death. The psalm doesn't necessarily say that, but it's obviously implied to the victory. He's taken out of death because God rescued him. He raised him. He knows what it's like to pray, be unanswered, and then find out God had a better answer. He had a better answer. And it gets better. Well, I mean, I don't know if it gets better, but it keeps going. Um, Verse 27 First of all, you notice in verse 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Then in verse 29, the prosperous of the earth shall eat. There's a feast going on here, okay? There's an image of a table and people are coming. They're eating, satisfied. Well, the end of next Psalm 23, we're going to see the same thing in much more graphic detail. The the going through death and then coming to a feast. Um, So there's a feast, but, but look at verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and, re- and, and turn to Adonai. All the ends of the earth. Well, we see that in the book of Acts. As the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And, of course, the rest of the New Testament. As there's letters to all over in the Roman Empire. Um, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to Adonai. Because of the cross, right? Because of this ignored prayer, something else is happening. And don't miss this part of verse 27. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Families of the nations. This is Genesis 12, verse 3. And through you, I will bless all the families of the nations. Genesis 12, 3 is God's promise to Abraham. God was not just choosing the Jews because He was going to save them and nobody else. He was choosing the Jews to save everybody else. And this psalm is saying that it is happening. What are we seeing here? We're seeing that we pray for one thing often, and God says no, only to say yes to a much bigger and larger request. Something bigger than we were looking for. We're looking for our situation. God's looking at the global, worldwide, gospel story situation. I want deliverance. And God's like, I'm going to say no to that for the moment so that through what you're going through, I'm going to deliver all the nations, all the ends of the earth. I'm going to bring about my purposes and advance my gospel through your whining and complaining and crying and wondering where I am. You will see one day. I'll let you wonder, but then you will wonder. And all this is because kingship belongs to Adonai and he rules over the nations. 
And so then in verse 29 to the end, which we had just read, but you see that all kinds of people are coming. The prosperous are coming to eat, and then you see the ones that are going down to the dust, and then those that can't keep themselves alive. This is all tears of life. Rich and wealthy, poor and despised, and those that are dying. All are being brought. So there, if you want to see, is a hint toward resurrection. All are being brought to this feast. And I feel like I'm going pretty long, so you can jot this down. Isaiah 25, 6 and 8. Isaiah 25, verses 6 and 8, is a picture of the worldwide feast. And it says that God there will defeat death. He has defeated death. There's a feast. And I forgot the third thing. It just went out of my head right as I had it. Oh, well. Oh, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. We see that here at the end of this psalm. And, verse 31, a people yet unborn shall come and proclaim his righteousness, that he has done it. Brothers, sisters, you and I, right here, we are, at least at that time, the people unborn, proclaiming his righteousness and his praise. And there may If the Lord doesn't come yet, there may be still people yet unborn who are going to pass on the seed of David, the seed of Abraham, the seed of Jesus Christ, the seed of, go back even further, the seed of the woman. The offspring of God who's going to bring salvation to the world will continue to praise him. All right. So we see, let's recap this. Chapter 20, there's a prayer request. Chapter 21, the king has a praise report. You've heard my prayer. Chapter 22, though, speaks to those times when we don't get the praise report. We don't have our prayers heard or answered, and we're wondering what's going on, only to find out that in the end, they do get heard. Remember verse 24, but he has heard when he heard, when he cried to him, he heard there's victory, and the victory is far beyond what we would have asked for or thought of. I'll tell your name to my brothers. All the ends of the earth will remember. The families of the nations are going to come and join the kingship of God. There's going to be this feast for all peoples, even those going down to the the dust of death. Yeah, this is victory. And this is the victory that was anticipated at the end of chapter 21, that God's enemies will finally be and ultimately be destroyed. Not just the battle, but the war would be ended by God. And we're seeing how. We're seeing the celebration, the end of the war, And it came in the most unexpected way. It came in the form of a a peasant from Galilee hanging on a cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm despised. I'm no man. I'm a worm. I'm despised. Everyone mocks me. I have no deliverance. Through that awful, unanswered prayer, God has conquered the roaring lion, the devil, sin and death. Okay, so let's conclude this. When God doesn't answer my prayer, it's because he's answering a better prayer. A prayer that I didn't think to pray. And Lord, make us humble enough to realize that there are prayers that we know not to pray. No to my prayer is yes to his prayer. No to my prayers, yes to his prayer. We see God's prayer. We see his plan for the nations. We see what he's going to do in his ultimate victory. That's his prayer. When he says no to mine, it's because God's saying yes to his. Because mine may not quite be in line yet. Or I need to come to a place where I see more than myself. 
He says no to my prayer because he's going to say yes to his prayer, because there's a better prayer to answer. What prayer is that, you might ask? The one he taught us to pray. The best prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. You know it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Kingship belongs to Adonai, and he rules over the nations. What is God's prayer? What is Christ's prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done. What did Christ pray in Gethsemane, even when his prayer went unanswered, or uh, unanswered? Nonetheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He prayed his own prayer. And so when we see no to our prayer, we need to understand that it is actually God's yes. He's answering his prayer. And his prayer is that the kingdom of God, his kingdom come, his will be done. That is the purpose of all prayer. Sometimes prayer gives us comfort, it gives us peace, it gives us deliverance. Yes, there's a lot of benefits to prayer. But the ultimate aim of all prayer is that we pray the way Jesus taught us, that his kingdom would come, that kingship would belong to Adonai, and he would rule over the nations and bring the nations into his kingdom. That is the aim of all prayer. And so sometimes we get unanswered because we're not praying kingdom prayers. We're praying Brandon's kingdom prayers. And so sometimes we go unanswered because God has a better prayer to answer. And we go through these times of wondering, these times of chaos, these times of pain, only to see that God is the deliverer. And yes, he is heard. He just wanted us to see the right way to pray or the right prayer to ask for. So we see at the end here, they're going to come and eat. Christ told us to eat. Christ told us to eat, to remember what he went through. Psalm 22, that it's his kingdom. And Jesus, when he gave his disciples his body and he gave them his blood, he said that the cup, he would not partake of the cup again until he drank it with them in his kingdom. And so as we take communion tonight, we remember the cross, the forgiveness, the deliverance. We also remember the kingdom and the kingdom to come and that there will one day be all the saints eating at the same time. Let's pray. Lord, sustain us 